I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. That's. Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I wanted to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you shawnee man? Transfer deadline day. I don't know. I just don't know. It's never quite been the same for me since the supporters stopped attacking the reporters with purple dildos. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Hands Football Podcast. I'm at Devon here with Ken Early and Kieran Murphy. That kind of sounded like a, a private intrusion onto Owen's inner mind there. It's monologue. Yeah. It's monologue. Just watching it again here. I mean, it's. Ah, look, it's old news, the dildo attack. But, you know, they can have that little ticker ticking away there over a billion pounds all they want. It's just, it's just not, it's just too sanitized for me now, Ken. Yeah. There's not even an inflatable sex doll anywhere. Yeah. That's the point. Well, it's when you go to, when you oh, go to that Louise level. Louise is signed for Chelsea again. It's just football. It's yeah. just news, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there's no, no excitement. No well, drama. No pizzazz. When you pull back from, <laughs> from that level of excitement, uh, that's when you start to have problems. I mean, if no one had done it in the first place, nobody would mind. No, of course not, no. But now that they've decided that they can't do it anymore, that it was getting too dangerous to have their reporters out with people. Arguably true. Um, <laughs> Arguably. Uh, that uh, it's, it, it isn't really worth watching anymore. For, for a while, there, there was something really special happening in the transfer deadline day. There was something democratic about it, um, which, has been, which has been lost, yeah. and, uh, and people's interest is, is gone. I suppose you just read about it the next day. Or talk about it the next day as we're about today. As we're doing now. I did joke, Ken, about the David Louise story not being big, but it is pretty big, especially because it's something that you have advocated on a couple of occasions on this on this very podcast. You might as well, well, we're going to talk to Richie Sadler a little bit later on, talk, do a lot of Robbie Keane, Ireland talk there. So let's get into the report on sport now and talk Louise. So David Louise, huh? a great player. You are all idiots, <laughs> is my feeling on this. Oh, but David Luiz, look at him in the 7-1 for Brazil against Germany. What a disgrace. Well, I mean, one swallow doesn't make a summer. And one, you know, massive uh, sort of nervous breakdown, meltdown in front of a global audience doesn't make a bad player. He wasn't the only Brazilian player until he said that line. David Luiz is a very emotionally susceptible man. You know, he, he um, you know that word you're very fond of on energy? 
Am I? Yeah, you're fond of that word. Energy. The energy in the stadium that night was a little, uh, was highly strung. Yes. It was nervous. I was there myself, Owen. Did I ever tell you? I was there. You've mentioned it. I was there in Belo Horizonte. Uh, at the most yeah, historical, in that, historic match. That in concrete porcupine of a stadium. And, uh, you know, it was, everyone was, was very hyped up. It was a big, uh, it was a big day for Brazil. Very big night. Uh, Thiago Silva, out. Neymar, out. Neither of them could play uh, on this historic occasion. David Luiz, the one remaining linchpin of the Brazil team, was left uh, alone with 10 other players to battle against uh, an extremely accomplished, uh, a purring German machine. Um, and it, was, it, all, it all went bad. And, and it, was, it was one of those things where the harder he tried to, to make it right, the worse it got. You know, charging out to try and make a slide tackle on the halfway line. <laughs> Germany runs straight through and score, was it, four goal, four or goal, five through that gap. Uh, it just kept getting worse. And, you know, the crowd turning on them and everybody crying and having a nervous breakdown. It was memorable. And it's the kind of thing that would uh, stick in people's memories. And for some people, for some people, they never quite trusted David Luiz. People who look at David Luiz and go, that man has got too much hair for me to take him seriously as a central defender. There's a lot of them out there, a surprising number of them. Oh, I'd say 52%, I'd say 52% of the population of the UK, at least, uh, feel that. Mistrust David Luiz because of his haircut. Is that they saying? start out mistrusting him for the hair and then they look for reasons to confirm their bias. Yes. Ah, yeah, I don't know. Everyone loved him when he first arrived. People are like, look at this guy. He sprays the ball around. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid to pass it. This is this is more in keeping with the new Premier League, the twenty whatever year that was, thirteen Premier League, where we were cultured. We've got a European influence. We like a guy like this who can knock it around. And then I think they just got a little bit fed up with his forays out of defence, which would often lead to. Tell you about another game I was at on uh, Champions League final twenty twelve, Bayern München against David Luiz's Chelsea. Uh, Unser Pokal, Unser, no, Unser, Unser Stadt, Unser Stadion, Unser Pokal was the arrogant banner that the Bayern Munich fans revealed before the game. Our city, our stadium, our cup. Well, it wasn't their cup, Alan. And I'll tell you why. David Luiz. Uh, not only did he marshal the Chelsea defense, Chelsea defense, incidentally, which had been uh, denuded through the absence of its... Cruelly robbed of its centre half. Its usual captain, Mr. John Terry as a result of him kicking an opponent up the arse in the uh, game against Barcelona. A game which I, I'll i say now, I think I remember David Luiz steering uh, Chelsea through on the night. Maybe he was not involved in the game. I don't really remember how he played against Barcelona, or even if he did. The important but, thing is that you feel that that's I feel that he probably did. Chelsea got to the final, and I know that he definitely played in that final and played exceptionally well, up to the moment when he scored one of the best penalties I've ever seen. A penalty... Um, which completely changed the mood throughout the whole province of Bavaria. I mean, the entire... You could feel that the temperature in that stadium dropped five degrees when David Luiz, so cool, was his penalty, Mm -hmm. stroked into the top corner as they tried to abuse him and put him off. But David Luiz said, I'm not worried about this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'll put this in the top corner. Chelsea going to win the cup. Pretty simple. And that's what happened. And I've always thought on that David Luiz was... Bloody good player. And I'm glad to see that Antonio Conte agrees. A man who knows a thing or two about defending and hair. Uh, <laughs> you know, he wouldn't be put off. He wouldn't be put off by David Luiz's hair. I'd say he's an admirer of it. Uh, and as a defender, he recognizes that Luiz 
I mean, I heard uh, a phrase. Who did I hear use this phrase? Somebody talking about a defender. It was Ian McIntosh uh, speaking about the defender Joel Matip, the Liverpool player who made a save against Tottenham. He's got a mistake in him. Well, which one of us doesn't have a mistake? Doesn't have a mistake in us. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Every single defender, uh, I think, uh, can be described in that way. David Luiz, I suppose, does. But he's also got uh, f- uh, great physical strength, uh, inspirational capacities, uh, brilliant passing ability. Uh, he is a player who it's worth having in the side. He's a versatile player who can play in midfield or defence. He can play as part of two central defenders or three. Uh, and three central defenders is something that Antonio Conte does a lot. Uh, and I think that might be another reason why he's interested in uh, having David Luiz in his team. Yeah, I do remember when Chelsea played Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League after Luiz had gone to Paris. You were making the point in the podcast that what Chelsea were missing at the time was a little bit of David Luiz. Mm. I think it was a per- personality you were talking about mostly. This was a, that was a strange time for Chelsea. They mm. were a little bit listless. Well, t- David Luiz has knocked Chelsea out of the Champions League every year since he left Chelsea. Maybe that's what was annoying them. This guy just keeps knocking us out of the Champions League. I'm tired of this. So they're having, they're they're bringing him back. Um, I mean, I, people just going about that seven one all the time. You know, it's like that. You were at that game, joke weren't you? about the sheep. Uh, I was at that game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and there's no question, he wasn't one of the better performers on the night. There's no question about that. But people also don't remember the games that led up to that semi-final. Sorry, what joke? I could have crossed you there unnecessarily. You said the joke about the sheep. Just the one about the one sheep. What's the it's, a fa- it's, an, it's an old joke. It's a kind of a Sam Allardyce type of um, Roy Chubby Brown classic. Come on, you know, you know the joke. I'm not going to tell the joke. I'm not going to tell Do you. You know, know you know it. No, I don't. It's a, it's a joke about reputations... And it and it leads up to you know do one you not, sheep. Do you not quite remember it, or it's just that you've given away the punchlines? There's not much point telling the joke. Well, it's we, just, we, we will move on from this, I think, at some point because you do this, you do that, you do the other, but you shag one sheep, and you're you know the, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> just how, just in terms of how people remember you from then on. So David oh, Louise, the, there will okay. always be a bit of David Louise that that lot is, is losing seven one to Germany, um, and there's a, but people don't people don't remember. That if it wasn't for David Luiz, Brazil, who weren't good enough to be in the World Cup semi-final anyway, would never have got that far. It was largely thanks to his uh, inspirational performances that they managed to get as far as they did. Maybe it would have been better if um, if he hadn't done that. You know, looking back, but we, you know, he wasn't allowed that at the time. So, anyway, David Luiz, why are you, why are you back at Chelsea? This is kind of weird. You sold sold you for fifty million. Everyone seemed quite gleeful about that. Now you're back for apparently thirty million, which presumably is just knocked off what Paris Saint Germain still owe. Chelsea for the deal. Um, why is this happening? Uh, let's go to Chelsea TV to find out. Because David Luiz speaks to Chelsea TV. He says, I'm very happy to be here again. It's fantastic to have the second opportunity to play for this club. I love this club, so that's why I am here. Let's try to continue the nice history with a lot of joy. Try to get success. It will be an amazing opportunity to show the fans again how I love this club and how I love to play for this club. I cannot wait to wear the shirt and play at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> like, Why? Why do they even bother recording these interviews? I mean, it's just, I've learned, I can't remember ever learning less from a player interview than from David Luiz talking to Chelsea TV about his move, which is on the face of it quite kind of interesting. I, I didn't realize things were going badly for him at Paris Saint Germain or that they would have wanted to get rid of him. Why are they, why is that happening? Are Paris Saint Germain scaling back a little bit? They want to get some high earners off the, you know, off the payroll. 
Uh, Chelsea obviously have changed their mind. I mean, who sold him originally? Was it was it Mourinho didn't want him? Was it Emanalo? Was it Abramovich? Uh, presumably it was Mourinho. Yeah, but he's not going to come out and talk about that. Yeah, Abramovich wanted me gone. Well, those are the things that you might learn if the player spoke to some journalists as opposed to Chelsea. You know what I mean? Or at least it might be asked. And then you could you could sort of use his facial expression to gauge how close to the truth the question had come. You know, but in this case, it's just absolutely nothing. I love this club. I'm glad to play for this club. I want to play for this club. I can't wait to put on the shirt. It reminded me a bit of the Players' Tribune, oh, um, that new departure. And uh, I, w- I, I don't want to call it journalism because it specifically is not that. Athlete, public relations. Mm-hmm. Um, the Players' Tribune. You know, you know the side I'm talking. Of course, about. I do. Yeah. Who's the Derek Jeter? Derek Jeter. Yeah, Blake Griffin. I think is heavily involved. A couple of top American sports people have decided uh, this is in, over the last couple of years that it's time for the sports people to communicate directly with the public. Yeah. No need for pesky journalists. Yeah, and of course, if you get you know if you get like uh, a call from Derek Jeter's PA asking you to you know collaborate with him on a project, it's, you're, maybe you're more likely to work with that than like if you get an email from me, you know, or some similar kind of bottom feeder. You know, asking you to, to for, you know, some for nothing. So Francesco Totti uh, collaborates with the Players Tribune, uh, and we discover that, like, uh, it was a Jerome Boateng we spoke about before. Um, he's a fine wordsmith. Another uh, crafted article in the style of American sports writing, um, but again, not really giving us much information. Like, for instance, can you believe that uh, Francesco Totti's mama was an important figure? Uh, when he was growing up in his life. My mama was the boss. Uh, <laughs> she still is whoa, the whoa. boss. Uh, uh, hold on. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, we should She's probably have an editorial meeting sorry, before you start sorry, you know, doing sorry. the accents. My mama ah. was the boss. Yep. She still is the boss. And she was rather attached to her boys, let's ah, say. Bring the accent back. Uh, like better. any Italian mother, she was a little overprotective. A little over. No, hang on. She did not want me to leave that's, home that's for fear Italian. that something might happen. No, no, she told the directors, directors from AC Milan, who wanted to sign the young Francesco Totti. That's all she had to say. Mi dispiace, no, no. <laughs> so they, um, so she sends them packing. You can imagine her um, uh, hitting them with the broom as they as they scuttle away down the steps of the apartment building. Certainly, when you do the voice, we can imagine. That was the end. My first transfer was turned down by the boss. Um, so Francesco Totti. I mean, he's a legendary footballer. I mean, one of the great players in European football. Uh, what are they what are they gonna get out of this? What is, what's he gonna tell us about his his thirty nine years? He's a he's a mature man. He's a middle aged man. Yeah. Not many footballers are. He's still one of the few active footballers older than me, for example. Yeah. Makes me feel good. Nineteen seventy six. You really keep an eye out for. Yeah. Oh well, absolutely yeah. Well Robbie's gone nearly now. all gone well, now. Well Robbie's not gone now. Robbie's still playing, so that's okay. Yeah. Hang on, what age is Robbie? Uh, July seventh, nineteen eighty. So younger than you. Oh so Robbie's a couple of months younger. Damn yeah. it. Um, so, <laughs> July 7th, July 8th, I can never remember. That's fine, it's fine. Anyway, um, you could say I'm a man who's set in his ways, says one club man, Francesco Totti, who's been at Roma for 25 years. In his uh, ways, uh, Ken. This is actually uh, the, the most interesting detail in the whole thing. I didn't even move out of my parents' house until I was engaged to my wife, Hilary, which is an interesting piece of information, but I want to know, was it the same house in which you grew up? Did you buy them a house when you started getting rich and then moved to that house with them? Really, the parents what have moved you? into your house if you've bought a new house. Is that what happened? Uh, when I look back when, it, when I look back on my time at the club, uh, what I'll miss, what's it going to be? 
time the club. Oh, oh I'm going to say camaraderie, camaraderie in the dressing room. The many hours spent, the many chats in the dressing room. I think what I'll miss most is sharing a coffee with my teammates every day. Maybe if I come back as director one day, those moments will still be there. People ask me, why spend your whole life in Rome? Rome is my family, mi familia. Uh, my friends, don't know the word for that. <laughs> uh, the people that I love. Rome is the sea, the mountains, the monuments. Rome, of course, is the Romans. Rome is the yellow and red. Rome, to me, is the world. This club, this city, has been my life. Sempre. <laughs> what was the point of that? Like, what is the point of this? Was there, was there, I mean, do you, well, do you how feel? Much, how, uh, how many articles are there with footballers that you feel really like you've gotten a lot out of? Uh, well, fewer I, and fewer. I think there is, the, the transaction is different in a situation like this. Uh, when you read an article, it's like, okay, this journalist wants to find out something about the guy he's interviewing or she's interviewing. In this, it's, okay, you've taken the time to write something, write this article, so let's hear it. What have you got to say? And I don't know if he actually did write it all by himself. Well, of course he did. Well, obviously he did. There's oh, no yeah. journalist involved in this enterprise, Ken. If he didn't write it, Blake Griffin wrote it for him. <laughs> Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter's sub-editing that there's no tomorrow. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll tell you. Sid Lowe, I know who wrote it. Uh, Sid Lowe's uh, series of interviews with various people in Spanish football. Are, you, there's a lot of really good interviews there. Oh, no, there are good interviews. I'm not saying no, there's no good interviews being done, but uh, I'm just not shocked that, that this player's reunion isn't producing much better it's than just producing ads. Like, it's like an ad for Francesco yeah. Totti. You know, it's like, what is the point? Like, it's, like, it's, it's like when a sports person does a book, and it's probably more actually akin to a, a book than it is to an interview, because as you're saying, it, you, you're, this is supposed to be in this player's words, and you think, great, they're doing a book that's going to be... Well, you don't think that anymore, because you know there are so many bad ones out there. You're just getting. They just do. They just do these things for pure reasons, and often it's better to not say very much. At all a man goes into a pub in a small town, and for whatever reason, gets introduced to the clientele. Yeah. There's Farmer Jack, Barman Jim, Morris Dancer, and Sheep Shagger John. After a few pints, the visitor's curiosity gets the better of him, and he asks John, "What's with the nickname?" See this pub? Asks John. I built it, but they don't call me Pub Builder John. I'm the local doctor. I saved Barman Jim's life once when he choked on a peanut, but they don't call me Lifesaver John. Every year I supply a huge Christmas tree for the village green, but they don't call me Christmas tree John. But you shag one lousy sheep. Yeah. So yeah. there's your gag in all its glory. Yeah, that, it's it's it an, was funnier when Kent told it's it. An old, it's an old one. It's a very old one. I'm, I'm sure uh, 98% of the people listening to this have heard that or some very well, well, This is the problem that David Luiz has. It's a reputational issue. And the problem is all the positive things that he does, people don't notice. I know, for instance, though, during this season, David Luiz is going to cock something up at some point. And I will then have a lot of tweets from people going, you are a moron. Or, you know, along those, the gist of it will be, you're a moron. Look at what David Luiz just did. And I will not reply, but I will think, I will, I will get angry. <laughs> I'd like to think that I, I, I wouldn't, but I probably will feel a little surge of anger. And I'll think to myself, why don't you send me a tweet every time David Luiz does something good, huh? Why don't you send me a tweet saying, you were right. What a great ball. What a great three ball. Look at the way David Luiz set that counterattack off really quickly. Look at the way that David Luiz headed away that corner. Look at the way David Luiz is coaching his teammates through the game. He's providing spiritual leadership to the Chelsea players and supporters. I never get that done. No one's ever sent that tweet. The positive just gets overlooked, and you know, and it's it's just all about the negatives. It's society. But where are we now? Uh, Everton have have been uh, getting didn't have a great last day of the transfer window. 
Farhad Mashiri, their new um, uh, kind of majority shareholder, was trying to put a positive spin on it when he said, yeah, you know, we're okay with, with uh, what's happened here. What happened was that they tried to sign Yassine Brahimi from Porto, only to find out that Porto only owned 50% of this player, very talented player who, who would have been a very interesting signing for them. Um, but they only own 50% of him. Porto, that is. So Porto are saying that your offer of 35 million or whatever it was isn't enough. We need, you know, more over 50 million euros. And everyone were like, well, this is, this is kind of crazy. And then there wasn't enough time to come to a compromise deal. So that didn't happen. And then the other deal they wanted to do, Musa Sissoko, they've apparently even organized a private jet, which is waiting to bring him down to sign, do his medical and sign. Only to, find, only to find out that he's actually joining Tottenham instead on the last day. So Tottenham now have Sissoko. He's joined them from Newcastle. Was he kidnapped? Like, you know, Berbatov? No, he just he just uh, had a better offer and and, uh, and jilted. Again, there used to be kidnappings. There used to be... He jilted uh, everything. The greatest manager in history of British football used to drive around dragging players into his car and getting them to sign for him rather than rivals. That's, That's when the transfer deadline day was really hot. It used to be a bit sinister at times. Sort of an old boy like element to what was happening in some of the tra- those transfer windows. Good but, signing though for Spurs, yeah. Well, he's an interesting signing. The, just just the, uh, what Mashiri was saying, the positive spin, it's kind of interesting from an Irish uh, context, is that keeping James McCarthy at this club oh, yeah. was a priority. So we're not too bothered that we didn't get to Soko. And we've, done, we've kept James McCarthy. They have kept James McCarthy. He needs to have an operation now uh, on his groin. 20 million pound rated, James McCarthy. 20 million pound rated. James McCarthy, but at the same time, the Irish star is in limbo. <laughs> a certain element of limbo at the moment because, not literally limbo, but just career limbo because, uh, you know, his place on the Everton side under Ronald Koeman is suddenly clouded in uncertainty uh, and he needs to have a surgery on his groin, which is never good. Could it clear the year of meeting with uh, Everton top brass? Perhaps <laughs> I, don't know if he needs to, I don't know if he needs to clear the year of meeting so much as to um, prove his fitness. So I suppose that's what he will be doing after he works his way back, uh, you know, after the operation. But uh, for for Tottenham, they've got Sissoko, um, and they've also uh, signed George Kevin and Kudu. Now this isn't that that was a kind of a weird signing because Kudu had been waiting to sign for Tottenham for uh, more than a month. Apparently, he'd been living in a hotel. Uh, the Spurs had agreed a deal with Marseille, his club, to sign him. Uh, and then brought him over, and then kind of suspended animation on the transfer. So he was just waiting in this hotel. Like, oh, what's going on? Like, what? And Tottenham were kind of like, mm-hmm, I'm not really sure. Now, if you, if you remember Pochettino saying after the game, Tottenham-Liverpool game on um, Saturday, we need a player like Mane. We need a, we need a guy who's quick and direct, who, you know, who can penetrate like he does. This is the player he was talking about, I think, Kudu. He was kind of saying to Levy, what, what is happening here? We need to sign that player. Get him in. Uh, and Kudu ends up tweeting uh, once the deal is eventually done. Oh, um, I have signed, or hashtag Nkudu signs. Uh, however, as I am now 40 years old, I am not certain of being as quick as I used to be, uh, which is his, his funny comment about how long he's spent in the hotel. Sissoko has come in, and he's kind of like, I'm not quite sure whatever or why Tottenham wanted to sign him. One thing is for sure, Tottenham do have... A, an array of physically imposing midfielders. I mean, Wanyama and Sissoko are, you know, seriously imposing. Got much, much heavier build than your typical player. I mean, Sissoko in the European uh, Championship final for the first half was absolutely devastating. You know, just, but I, 
But I think he's kind of powerful rather than really quick. You know what I mean? He's, he, he was beating a lot of players in that game. Yeah, but he, he kind of he's kind of a player who beats others with with power. He's not like he's not really a pacey player. I don't see him breaking too many lines. You know what I mean? He's good. He's difficult to get the ball off. I'm just not quite sure where he fits in. But you know, uh, it's always good to get a player, especially when you stop another club from having that player. So simply the manner of the signing, denying Everton will be satisfying to Tottenham fans. That's it for Ken Nerdy's Report on Sport. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call him a player a baby. Coach! And we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call him a player a baby. Richie has arrived. Richie, how are you? Owen, you well? How are you getting on? I'm good. I was pleased for Robbie last night. I presume you were as well to get the nice send off and a goal to cap it off. Yes. Um, it was a lovely send off in one way. Like it, it was a goal that we all wanted him to get. It was a half decent crowd. Um, Lovely thing said about him all night, and I thought he did his interview before, after the game, the press conference, everything. It was, it was just the, the way, and I, like that should have gone. It was, of course, one of the shittest fixtures you could ever get, <laughs> um, and 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 really, really fair play to all those people who came out to watch. Oh man, um, but that aside, it all went exactly how you would like it to go for Robbie. It's funny you mentioned that, and praising the fans who did turn up because uh, in our earlier podcast today, I was talking about the fact that there was some criticism of criticisms of the supporters who weren't there for for not turning up to say goodbye to Robbie Keane. But you actually think a crowd of whatever it was, twenty five thousand, is pretty good going considering the opposition. I, I think you have to acknowledge it. Like th- there are a load of different reasons to come to a fixture, and one of them is absolutely going to be the quality of the opposition. So if you serve up Oman again. Again, for about the third time. The, novelty, like the, the old man novelty has actually worn off. You know, <laughs> such, such as it was. The buzz of anticipation when we first faced Oman. That's, that's gone that's now. Gone now. It's from, we're too familiar with the, all their players now. Yeah. It's <laughs> Oman team that couldn't outfox Limerick and Cork in the last fortnight. Like who, and then if that's what you provide, you don't really then, on the other hand, get to knock people for not being there. You've got to acknowledge, well, fair enough, if we wanted a full house there, we could have done a hell of a lot more on our side. I'm saying our as in the FAI, but I don't think it's a sign necessarily that if you didn't go last night, you're in some way ungrateful to Robbie or you, you're, you're showing him a lack of respect or a lack of gratitude. That I, that doesn't stack up for me at all. It's Oman, it's a Wednesday night, it's the end of August, it's the most meaningless fixture they could have possibly put on. I've been reading a lot of tributes, as we probably all have over the last week or so, for Robbie's career and what he was like as a teammate. Stephen Reid says, when I was first called up by Mick McCarthy in 2001, I wasn't that sure of myself. I remember once getting on the team bus to head to training. All right, Reedy said Robbie, uh, sat, sat down up at the front with me, chatting away with the new guy, putting me at ease. Stephen Hunt says, 
in training when I first started training with Robbie for Ireland, there was a bit of typical footballer back and forth going on and I said something back to him to stand my ground but I didn't give him the respect he might have felt he deserved. And Hunt goes on then to say how him and Robbie just never quite saw eye to eye. Where Were you closer to the Hunt or to the Reed uh, standard there? No, I never it would never have fallen out with him and I don't think I would have ever spoken to him perhaps the way that Hunt he did in that little initial exchange. Um, I mean, it was way back when we were kind of 17 or 18 when I first came across him. But at the time, when I first would have played with him, he was still a Wolves player. And if you look back at the footage, you know, the Argentina post-match interviews, yeah, the yeah. like he was only 17. Like, if you sp- like if you, do you know any 17-year-old lads <laughs> now? And then just how young they are. And to imagine the, 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 the attention and the scrutiny on him. And the amazing thing I remember being around him was he seemed to be completely unaffected by any of it. Like, and, and like I obviously wasn't there in the room when he was first told, you know, Coventry wants you for six million. But I assume he would have gone, yeah, nice one, let's go. Mm. Or Robbie, Inter Milan have just run, yeah, brilliant, put me on the plane. All of those, and the huge moves and all, all the various different things, nothing seemed to bother him. So he's just unflappable, that's yeah, that's, that's which, that's which just, is not a bad way to be for a professional sports person. It's exactly person. the way you want everyone to be. Like I said this in the highlight show last night in RT, that's the one thing, if you could transplant it into any youngster, give him Robbie's personality. <laughs> Honestly, because no, nothing phases him, we've... we've you know, we've never spoken about him in terms of, you know, did, did he handle the occasion well or, or did he doubt himself or is he kind of fellow with the temperament that can do this? There's never been a question well, mark pro- about any of those things. Probably only when he was at Liverpool, really, I, I think, because that was seen as the one, the big move that could make his career and didn't. Do you and think that was a temperament issue, though? Maybe not, but I do remember him during that phase. Didn't he say at one stage, oh, I don't care about scoring goals, you know, I don't, it's, it's not, it's not, that's not what it's all about, when you know that's not the case, and that, for him, clearly it's not, it is all about scoring goals, uh, that's what you have to say. It wasn't that he said so much, I don't care about scoring goals, so much as I'm not bothered, I haven't scored, because I'm experienced enough to know that the goals will come. Oh, okay, well then that's actually fair enough, so I'll rescind my criticism probably, I thought it was a little bit more like, ah, you know, it's, it's whoever gets the goals, it's I fine. think he, he clearly was freaking out because he hadn't scored. You you didn't so, well, it's embarrassing to be signed for twenty million as a, as a star striker and then not score and have a load of air shots. It's embarrassing. It's, it's humiliating. Yeah. I don't think he'd been through that type of experience before. One of the things I think is interesting about him, he's managed. I mean, this in the nicest way possible to get through all his international career without being that revealing or insightful about any aspect of his career or what he does off the field. If he was ever to sit down and write a book, and actually engage in writing a book not just some cliche driven crap like and imagine he'd have a whole load to say because even even go back to his time as a kid he was the first teenager I knew that got used to saying that phrase though you know speak to my agent like that and I still cringe whenever I hear even a fully an adult saying that you know speak to my agent you think it's awful Robbie had the I don't know the wherewithal the cop on or the 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 he just said that. So he was he was always You mean when somebody was asking him to appear on something? Media or, stuff. Yeah. Just you know, just batted away, speak to my agent. He he just kinda had a focus or something about him that, that no other teenager around him at the time had. Maybe he just had a kind of David Miscavige type agent who was controlling him to an unhealthy degree. Possibly. Well, I mean, just the other day he was he was saying uh this is on Monday, he was, he was speaking to the daily newspaper journalist and he was saying well, I mean, first of all, he was being super friendly. I've never seen any player be so friendly and grateful. 
to journalists. I mean, what does Robbie Keane have to be grateful to Irish journalists for? Why is he thanking Irish journalists? He does, what have we ever done for Robbie Keane? Seriously, like. But uh, he was saying uh, at one point, you know, he, he was talking about how he'd been changed by his move to America. And, and first of all, he said, well, you know, people are always asking me this. And I'm kind of like, hmm. But then he said, well, one of the one difference is that uh, when you go over there, like the whole media situation is more relaxed. You know, they they, they have a different way of going about it. And you kind of, I kind of realize, oh, you know, you sort of have to do this stuff, but it's it's kind of part of your job to do this. But also, you know, that it's not really that bad. And then he said, you know, when you're younger, you have people telling you, don't do this, don't do that. You know, he seemed to be suggesting an agent's involvement, you know, sort of advising him to reduce or try to avoid any sort of media contact. And then after a while, you know, you, you realize, and he was looking at Phil Quinn when he said, he said Phil Quinn's actually all right. Uh, which, which obviously was a proud moment for uh, for Phil Quinn. I think we all wish we were in his shoes uh, <laughs> at that moment. But you know, he seems to be kind of suggesting that he, that he looks back at it now with a slight element of of regret that he was so paranoid is maybe too strong, but closed. Yeah, refusing to you know, it, it wouldn't really have been that bad to have given a few more interviews at the time. You know, but I think when you're still a teenager. I think the the right obviously the example that come to mind Ferguson's handling of Ryan Giggs. Now that's the 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 example that I always think of when you think of players being protected or handled um, and guarded from the media, and some players need it. And I don't know, like I remember, I we used to have Irish journalists would ring you all the time if you're a youth international, and and you'd be living in England, and you know that you could have a twenty minute phone call, and maybe one sentence you'd say. They would use in a quote on it, maybe a three-inch column at the side of a because like, you're not news. You can give all the interesting, but no one cares. You you play for Millwall and no one cares. When you're him, every word matters. Yeah. So there's a reason why someone has to kind of grab and say, Robbie, say no to that interview because every phrase you say. And remember, he's 18 or he's 19 or he's 20. So I think that approach is the correct one. Yeah, you well, you. I- you well, I mean, obviously things could go things could go wrong in a few ways. I mean, there's this story at the moment about Dante, you know, the, who's like pretty old. I mean, Dante is 33, 34, fairly experienced player, but gave an interview to Build in which he said some things about Pep Guardiola. They report, uh, Dante says Pep Guardiola is, you know, an android. He lacks human emotion. Good tactically, sure, but he he made me feel as though I wasn't even a person. Dante has to put up a thing saying, I, I didn't say any of this. I just said Guardiola talks a bit less than some of the other coaches I've had, but I would never say anything bad about him because I think he's amazing. You know, this kind of thing. There was a, I remember an example that maybe Robbie Keane took note of at the time was Clinton Morrison. Do you remember Clinton Morrison? Crystal Palace played Liverpool in the League Cup semi-final. It would have been 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah. And uh, Palace beat Liverpool in the first leg at... Selhurst Park and Morrison scored Michael Owen had a terrible game missed a few chances and Clinton Morrison made some joking reference afterwards to he kind of carried away with the with having scored a goal and won the game so you know I think I probably would have scored a few of those chances Michael Owen had or something along those lines forgetting maybe that he had to go to Anfield in a couple of weeks time and was subjected to I'm sure he remembers as if like an absolute ninety-minute barracking, you know, from the whole the whole place. It's like, oh, here's here's the great Clinton Morrison, the great goal scorer. Clinton Morrison comes to Anfield. Truly, it's a special night, and just ridicule, co- constant ridicule. They lost five nil. He missed the sitter, and 
I'm sure the scars have never really gone away. I mean, that's how, that's how it can go if you uh, if you come up against a slightly mischievous journalist who wants to make a problem for you. I actually interviewed Clinton Morrison when I was writing with the Sunday Independent many years ago, and he was still playing for Crystal Palace, I think, at the time. And he referred to that. And actually, at the start of the interview, the press officer from, from Palace was there and said... Um, do, do, do you mind if I stay in the room? So there's three of us this and I said, actually I prefer if you didn't. I'd I'd be more comfortable if it was just myself and Clinton. So he left. And then in, in the course of the interview we covered a load of different things and one of them was the Michael Owen quotes and his maybe his regrets about saying it or, or the various different things he said. And he spoke about a couple of other things. But I got a you know, you're just making the point there about the, the the dangers of speaking to a mischievous journalist. I got a call then later from the press officer, Clinton had started to worry whether he had repeated the same mistake again. Whether Morrison he, calls out Owen again. Yeah, he, 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 in his retelling of his memories or of the whole thing, and we got quite relaxed, the two of us chatting away, he got worried that, you know, Christ, that written down might not look as good as it sounded between two blokes chatting. And uh, he, I got the call to say, listen, Clinton, you know, would like that not to be printed in the in the final thing. And I said, absolutely, of course not. Like, I'm not here to stitch the fellow up or, at all. So, yeah. You've got to be careful. Dirty so journalists everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like he did kind of repeat what he had said. Well, he, 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 or no, there was been, no, it could have been represented that way. If you there was no, um, I can't. He didn't criticize Owen again, or, or, or say anything similar to his original quote. Was something like he kind of he just got carried away. By I, it, it was basically the gist of it was I would have scored some of those chances. Well, the headlines, as I remember, was I can gi- I'll give Michael Owen. Finishing lessons. I'll take going to school. Some, something along those lines. <laughs> but the point stands, like, in, in that scenario, Clinton was on his own in a room with me, who at the time, like, I'm in there in, in my capacity as a journalist. He he spoke freely and immediately regretted what he said. So that's this, this an obvious example where you think, well, the likes of, say, an agent who would be a bit more controlling of a player say, don't put yourself in a situation when you're one-on-one on your own with a journalist with a tape recorder in a room. Because you might call him an hour later and say, listen, actually, on, on second thoughts, pull that quote. I, I maybe shouldn't have said that thing. And the journalist goes, sorry, mate. It's an interview. It's, well, yeah. well, I'm not, I mean, you're mate here. I'm That's doing my job. definitely now the most interesting quote in this interview. Uh, Robbie got, uh, first, Robbie Keane was fairly savvy, probably because he was getting used to being interviewed so much from so early on. He got used to not saying a huge amount necessarily. But I think you, just to bring you back into that point you made about how he is... You know, saying thank offensive. you on this charm offensive. Yeah, you're, you're convinced that's because he's gonna he's smoothing the path to become the Republic of Ireland manager at some point, and it's no harm just being laying a bit of groundwork. Laying, well, yeah, laying a bit of groundwork. Albeit, a lot of managers probably don't care about their relationship with the media. But but, but if you can, if you can have a good one and build on something that you've developed in your career, you might as well. Oh, yeah. He's got to get the job first, so that's where the newspaper men might come in. Yeah, there's that, and then there's uh, it. it it's, it helps, you know, if, if people regard you, regard you in a positive way. You know, you start off with a few draws and defeats. People are saying, don't really have the players. You still need time to gel, you know, as opposed to, why is this massively underqualified uh, person being given the job? You know, that, that sort of can make those differences. I mean, I think that, there's, that he definitely wants to do that job. And it could be quite soon. Mm. You know, why not? Mm. Uh I mean, we'll. I can. You might have heard Richie's little noise there. Why not? You ask. Yeah. Because he's never done the job at any level before. He's not a manager. 
What's he like in team talks? What's he like picking a team? What's he like selecting players? What's he like judging young players and where he weighs up? Is this under-21 player good enough to come into my squad? If he is, you know, what's his personality like? What kind of handling does he need? He's good around the hotel, though. You know? <laughs> well, he is. We, we know that he's good around the hotel. But, you know, it, it needn't necessarily be straight in. Um, I'd be very wary of getting too ahead of ourselves. And, and I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I do think he is his eyes on the job. And I do think there might have been a reason he was as pleasant and lovely with everyone as he was this week. It, it, it is a shift from what he has been in the past. But, you know, we've been here before. Like, give well, it to Steve, Steve Staunton. Steve Staunton Why not? Was. Well, because he's got 100 caps. He's been a brilliant servant. What commitment. Players will respect him. He loves his country. Give it to him. Like... That there's your comparison. There's the obvious place to start when you go. Well, why not? Why not give it to Robbie? Because Stan was given. He made a balls of it. Yeah, yeah. But he, Robbie Keane is not Steve Staunton. You know what I mean? Already, for instance, he's demonstrating keener political instincts than Steve Staunton ever did by buttering up. Uh, the, I mean, that makes it sound very cynical. Robbie Keane could also simply be responding to the fact that everyone is is gazing at him as though he was the most beautiful uh, puppy that they'd ever seen. And saying, "Oh, isn't it? It's it's so incredible!" And, and thank you, thank you, Robbie. No, thank you, <laughs> thank, thank you. Everyone is thanking everyone and shaking hands with everyone and saying, "You know, it's been hugging." What an amazing himself Antonio Donahue were there's a picture of them in a, in a lovely warm embrace. There's a mm-hmm. huge amount of there's a huge amount of bonding going on. Now, I'm not. I'm sure it's not all politically calculated, but you know, I mean, the political situation is there. I mean, what what I would ask is how what what do you think Robbie Keane would have to do? in order to qualify for for that job, beyond the fact that, as he said himself in one of his press conferences during the week, you know, he's, he's, he's made a certain name for himself. I mean, he is one of the biggest figures in Irish football. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, without question, that, that counts for something. You know, when it comes time to choosing, a, choosing a, an international manager. You know, you've got a guy who's, who's like the record caps, you know, record appearance maker, record goal scorer for Ireland. I mean, he's obviously... You know, on your short list, he kind of gets an interview automatically off the back of that. What What do you think he would have to do in order to be properly qualified for that job? Become a manager. Now, so I'm not being, being smart, like, but he, he's demonstrated that as a player, he can play at a phenomenally high level consistently over years and score goals like no one else in this country has ever done before. No question there. To be a manager or a coach, or supposed to be a manager in this case, you got to demonstrate your ability to be a manager. You can only do that by being a manager. Now, I know you can think of a lot of play- people who've gone into management and, you know, you have to start somewhere. Mm. Everyone gets their first job somewhere and those that are success-, success get second and third jobs. And there's an element of learning on the job no matter where you start. But this is an international... Should, should we not maybe limit our search whenever Martin O'Neill goes or his successor, successor, I don't know when Robbie will leave LA Galaxy or when he'll be in the picture but at least limit the search to people who've actually been a manager yeah, at what, some level so what if he was a coach in Major League Soccer for a year Where, remember in Major League Soccer he's regarded as a total total legend like a mastermind not just a good in the you know fox in the box I'm talking commander in chief commander in chief material so he coaches Salt Lake Rapids or Rail Salt Lake I think they're two different teams yeah uh, he coaches them. So you're saying, uh, jump ahead, right? So he's now this he coach. Co- he so, coaches so, them for yeah. a year. He yeah. he nearly reaches the playoffs, but not quite. But in fairness, he didn't have a great deal to work with. The Ireland job comes up. 
Is it enough qualification? Well, at least now he's 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 on the shortlist. Now I'm saying right. We're talking about a manager. We're okay. not just talking about a man who we remember fondly as a player. We're talking about someone who is in the world of management. Someone who is in the world of management, but also in the world of Irish football. Someone who who has got contacts in Irish football. The great players, the great players of his generation, uh, are all you know in his favourites on his phone. He can he can bring these in. It's like when Giggs turned up in the sideline at Old Trafford with but skulls. Uh, Neville was Phil Neville there. Uh, I can't remember. Who would but you bring in? Though? Let's say he. Let's say the, the. Let's say his phone book has them all. They're all he's on yeah. the speed dial to the. Richard Dunn, Damien Duff, Jason Gavin. Who? who, who, who? <laughs> <laughs> Blast from the past there. Jason Gavin back involved. Yeah. Well, look, uh, look. All I'm saying is, you know, you, you're talking about the new gen, the, the next generation of Irish football masterminds here. You know, they they were they were the great players. And now maybe they will be the great shapers of our game. Duff is here's coach, another coach. Here's, Duff is coaching the 15s. Kenny's involved with the 19s. Yeah. So you see, there's there's already uh, for like this is another thing Robbie Keane referred to during the week. You know the fact that the FAI in in more recent times has been better at bringing former internationals in to to draw on their experience, which he regards as a very positive sign. Here's another here's another possible thing. Did you see Thierry Henry is now the Belgium coach alongside mm. you know. He's the Belgium coach with Roberto Martinez, assistant. And his salary is 50,000 euros, which he's given to charity. Yeah. Now, what if, through one development or another, the Irish job, the Irish manager's job, didn't come with this extra, you know, million euros or whatever that would kind of attract a sort of high-level professional manager, but that an already very rich former footballer wouldn't you know? It would be kind of be like the the salary could almost be one euro, you know, a, a one a one euro salary uh, per year per annum. What if what if that was the situation? If it was suddenly you're looking at either Robbie Keane or trawling through, you know, the lower divisions of of English and Scottish football, looking for a coach who would be prepared to work for, you know. Well, not one euro. Yeah, I'm sure there'd be more than a nominal fee. I'm sure there'd still be a few hundred grand. Three, three hundred thousand, maybe is what, is what the FAI were were paying before, isn't it? I mean, that's you know that that's obviously a pretty decent salary. You know, I mean, it's it's more than you know a hospital consultant gets paid. But a lot of of the best football managers around would fancy their chances of earning a bit more. So if suddenly you had that situation, you know, Robbie Kane would still be interested. So you you're putting forward a scenario where. Because of financial reasons, let's say. Uh, no, so, no. Brian, are we, we, so you're saying what we don't want to what we don't want to say before we go any further is that there's any financial absolutely reason for that to come down, you know. But just you don't know how things are going to go in the future. Okay, in, in, in a hypothetical world, we're not make, insinuating anything at the moment. Absolutely. The proposed wage for the manager is buttons, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, compared to what it is now. And you're saying, by virtue of his personal wealth, that Robbie would still want it. Well, his his love of the game and his love of Irish football. As well, I mean, the, the, Robbie Keane has. Well, no, you're saying that Robbie Keane suddenly shoots at the top of the list because you're knocking off a lot of managers who would uh, be lot, put off by the lower financial rewards on offer. Yeah, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Isn't it? But why not Duff that's or Kenny or Kilban or Gary Breen or any of the people who are? Well, I like, just haven't seen them, them them pushing themselves to the front of the queue in quite the same way as as Ireland's record goal scorer in recent times. I mean, maybe then it comes down to a question of ambition between. 
between those guys. Ambition and sort of. Front. Would you give him the job? Forget, let's say money isn't an issue. It would depends. You, would it you, if O'Neill leaves at the end of this campaign, at the end of the summer 2018, mm. and Robbie wants it. It depends who the other candidates are. You know, it all, it, all, it all comes down to that. What I'm saying, really, is that I think he'll be there, and I think he'll be pushing for it. You know what I mean? So when people are saying farewell, goodbye, our feeders and whatever, just remember that he's going to be back, and you will boo him out of that stadium. <laughs> you, the day will come when you boo him out of the stadium hurting abuse. Me, me personally? Well, maybe not, maybe not you. You're not allowed to do that if you're, you know, if you're sitting there in the sort of... Um, Big for poor own. TV, really. If you're just booing, you the Irish <laughs> football supporter. We asked for something more from we're, we're uh, our analysts. Richie <laughs> Jeff Hendrick was out there for the second half last night after sealing his move to. I don't know why I'm already speaking like a Sky Sports News reporter. Sealing his 10 million plus uh, pound move to Premier League side Burnley, and uh, I, I said it to Murph when he came out for the second half. I went, and this happens every time I see Jeff Hendrick uh, live. Jeez, he's a big man. It's like he seems to be getting bigger every yeah. time I see him. I, I, just, I didn't notice at first, but he is a big man. He's, <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a beast. He's certainly got the physique for the Premier League. Do you think he's got the talent? I think he does, and I, I, and I do envy him slightly. I've spoken about the times before when I've interviewed Sean Dyche, and I remember being there going, I would love to be a player in this fellas dressing room. And just the way he goes about it all, I, I'd, I'd love to have experienced that. Um, the 10 million... Tag is an interesting one. I mean, he spent a lot of last season not. He wasn't guaranteed his place where he was. I know off air you said, you know, is he worth that? It, it, I, I don't know. We, we, we had this conversation last time I was on in relation to Arsenal and where the bar is set mm. and what's over the odds and what are the odds and all that kind of stuff. We're just going to have to get used to, I'm not describing Hendrick as this, but bog standard players, whether they're regular starters in the club they're at, their value will go up and up and up, irrespective of their talent level or how their career is going. If Jeff Hendrick moves again in three years, he'll probably go for a big 20 million. Not because he's had an outstanding couple of years, but just because they've all got so much money. Did 13 clubs break their transfer record? Yeah, like, wasn't there over a billion yeah. spent or whatever? Thir- 13 clubs broke their own transfer record. And I would assume majority or all of them will do it again next year or the following year, but just because they've got way more money to play with then. Yeah, and I, it's funny. I, I mean, I know we've been talking about it, but I, I kind of don't care that much how much a Premier League club wants yeah. to spend. I, I, I like seeing an Irish international go yeah. to a Premier League club, I, and you know, Robbie Brady's kind of stuck in the Championship, and would have been happy for somebody to have shelled out whatever meant a million on him. And uh, that's what puts yeah. me off actually about most of the coverage of the transfer window. It's focused on finances, and then just kind of rather than where players are going, yeah. what what's it's happening like, what's to their the career. What's the, look at the total? Yeah. Look, this is amazing. Yeah. Look at the amount of money they're all spending. What an amazing window. Nonsense. <laughs> I watched it this morning. I got a bit of Sky, and they were like, "Oh, you know, we've got, you know, we've got footage now of of Wiltshire in his new surroundings, and they footage of him training." And someone said, "Yeah, you know, it looks like he's really taken to his new. He's training. He's a footballer. He was jogging around. He like his, there was nothing new. Yeah, and uh, reveling that, in his new surroundings. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and then he looks and, like a new man. Doesn't he? He'd, got, he'd gone from London to Bournemouth. Like how how." Parochial is Jack Wilshire. Exactly. Like how, Jesus, uh, Jack Wilshire turned down AC Milan and Roma to join mm-hmm. Bournemouth. Come on, yeah. I mean, you could say that that's a that's a reflection of how all oh, this money has changed the landscape of football. It, it's just a reflection of how limited Jack Wilshire's mind is. How could he do that? How could you that. join Bournemouth when you have the ch- chance to join Roma or Milan? It's so stupid. It's offensively idiotic. You know, I mean, 
He, I, there's that photo of Wilshire in his, in his Union Jack couch with his bulldog. You've seen that? Have you seen it? It's kind of no. a thing. He's got like a Union Jack couch and, and he's got a bulldog, obviously, because it's like Winston Churchill. And he's there and he's, you know, patriotic. And you think, what a little Englander this guy is. Seriously. Bournemouth. When he, he's thinking literally six seconds ahead. You know, what is, he think, what is he thinking of in terms of his life? You know, the development of his life, of his career. He has a chance to play for a, a classic club in Italy. AC Milan might be in a bit of a <laughs> downward spiral at the moment, or at least a slump. They're in a slump at the moment, sure. But the chance to go and play for Milan, to play for Roma for a year, to play in a different league, to do all the, of these things, like broadening his, his, his life, his experience of the world. And instead, he joins Bournemouth. Because they're down the road. Yeah, it's kind of a free shot as well. I mean, if you know, you 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 go to it's on loan for a year. If it doesn't work out, you go back to Arsenal. What what have you lost? Nothing, you know. Absolutely. Go to Milan for six months. How how limited? Like what a tiny, what a tiny little outlook on the world that guy has. I don't expect big things from him. Yeah, I don't disagree with one word of that. I just (laughs) thought it was way more entertaining listening to you say it. (laughs) Richie, British stuff. Thank you. Cheers, lads. I'll give you the unvarnished account of what happened, will I? There was a train at, like, one o'clock back to Paris. Arrived at the station in Saint-Étienne before that train was due to go to find utter bedlam. The seat numbers weren't being respected. It was with an air of foreboding. I went to find Place 41, and as I expected, it already contained a tired-looking England fan, Geordie man, probably in his late 20s. He knew why I had come, and I looked at him sternly and waggled my ticket and said, Sorry, mate, it's actually my seat. And he said, Sorry, mate, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere the seat numbers don't count. Basically, tough shit. I've sulked and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. But then I thought, there's no point in just sitting here. Who knows what might happen? Possession was now 100% of the law. You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take. I started walking along the train, and in the very end carriage, there was a couple of empty seats. Ah. I thought, that's interesting. I went on to the first empty seat I saw, tried to sit down. The England fans there said, sorry, mate, our friend's there. So I said, OK, moved up, went to the next empty seat, sat down. Guy next to it, no complaints. Well, the situation seems to have changed. I'm now one of the haves rather than the have-nots. A few minutes later, as I suspected it might, previous over the seat came along and said, sorry mate, that's my seat. And I said, sorry mate, my seat is actually Watcher 12, class 41, but there's someone sitting in it, so I just came and sat in this seat, which which is unoccupied, there's a lot of us in the same boat. And he said, but that's ridiculous, I've just gone to the canteen and I got this RNG now. And I said, I know, I'm really sorry, it's really unfair. The system is a total shambles. You walked away saying the word tosser. I felt bad for the guy. Maybe he didn't realize that he was in the jungle. He still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behavior at this moment. However, I do have a seat and I don't think anyone saw. So I can take it that you're not impressed with Jack Wilshere's decision to inform. <laughs> well, look, I mean, who knows? I, I, maybe Milan and Roma, maybe they're interested in that series. I mean, for instance, John Cross, you know, John Cross, the Daily Mirror journalist who's mm-hmm. well connected on Arsenal issues. Um, claims that Arsenal were reluctant to deal with Italian clubs. By the same as Wilshire was reluctant to deal with them as well. And the two clubs that he was interested in, um, and as John Cross reveals, Wilshire met with Palace boss Alan Pardew, 
and Bournemouth manager Eddie Howe in a football agency's offices in Soho on Tuesday evening, it was almost like an interview process. Pardew went first and impressed Wilshire. Howe went next and really blew Wilshire away. (laughs) Why did you laugh? Sorry. Sorry, there was just... I think it was just Pirates. <laughs> Sorry, Pirates got into my head there, and I couldn't get get him out of my head. I'm not sorry. as impressive as Eddie Howe. Yeah. Pirates. Pirates isn't going to. He's not going to enjoy no. that. Pirates won't forget that. Pirates is thinking about that right. Right now, now he is. He's he standing there. Is. International he, break. He's got nothing to do. He's a load of kids in front of him. He's, there's no way he's focusing on training right now. No, he's, he's all about John Cross. Um, How could he? Write? John Cross like says the added attraction of his best pal, former Arsenal youth teammate, <coughs> youth teammate Benicophobi, being at Bournemouth was another big plus, as well as how style football regular games and the chance to shine in the Premier League. I mean, I just, I just feel as though if that chance, and maybe I'm being unfair here, but if there really was a chance to join a club like Roma or Milan, and you're joining Bournemouth, like I pity that. I pity the tininess of that mind. You know, I mean, there's so many things. He might have learned something new. He might have found out some new things. He might even have come back as a better player. Or maybe he might have stayed. He might have been the new Liam Brady. But instead, he's going to Bournemouth. And I wonder how that's going to work out. We have got another show recorded and out on the worldwide interweb, Murph. Mm-hmm. It uh, features U.S. Murph on the Colin Kaepernick story over in the U.S. It's this absolute 49ers quarterback who refused to stand for the national anthem in America at the weekend, he's protesting the, I guess, the state of the country at the moment, the plight of black people, police brutality, a lot of a lot of the hot hot button topics in the US at the moment. So it's an amazing story, and Brian Murphy was brilliant as ever on it. And Seamus Hickey told us why he thinks. I think he did settle on tip, didn't he? Oh, he did. So, yeah, 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 he settled on tip Throughout to win the All Ireland final. And yet you were still pressing with the end, as if there was some doubt in his mind. Tipperary all the way for Seamus Hickey. Kilkenny Kenny are going to win, though. I mean, it's well, that certainly would have. All right, Murph, thank you. Thank you, and thanks, Ken. Thank you, and thank you, Carol. Thanks very much for listening. Chat to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.